Hello, we've got some exciting news. Would you like to join the History Film Club? We are a very exclusive club and anyone can join now. We've got a brand new Patreon, so you can get your own membership number and badge. There's also merchandise, extra content and live watch-alongs. There will be more details after the podcast, but to join, go to www.patreon.com forward slash History Film Club. Hello and welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tanzelman, a historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a consultant to film and television. And Hannah and I have a very exciting applicant this week to join the History Film Club. It's Eleanor Janiger. Now, Eleanor is a medieval historian. She teaches at the LSE and her specialities, amazingly, are sexuality, propaganda and the apocalypse. Um, her new book is The Middle Ages, A Graphic Guide. It's out now in the UK and out in the US in September. Welcome, Eleanor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely excited to get mad at the concept of movies themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do all day. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. We we like we like to kind of enjoy historical films as well on this podcast, and I think it's you know it's really easy for historians to watch things on television and get a bit cross about mm. the areas of expertise. And Eleanor, you've got so many areas of interest. You know, interested in the histories of of sexuality, of everyday life. I, I saw you do something on the pandemic. Um, there was even a little YouTube clip, I think, about medieval dildos. That might have been right. Yes, along the way. yes that's right. Yes. <laughs> so many, many, many areas of interest. But what do you think that um films get right about the medieval period? Well, one of the things that I do think films get right about the medieval period is the kind of complexity of it, right? So we tend to think, oh, well, the medieval period, a lot of the time when we think about it, it's somewhere very far in the past. Uh, It's all kind of like a flat line. There is, you know, there's nothing but the church and waiting to die a painful death, right? But what you will see in some films is there, you know, people have like passionate lives, right? Like even in in a movie that is really anachronistic, we'll probably get to this, but like A Knight's Tale, for example, um, shout out to a very good movie. Um, you know, you know there, there are things that, that people get excited about things. Uh, people have romances. Uh, people don't do what is expected of them. And so what I think we can see from films that is good about the medieval period is that individuals are still grappling with things. We, it's not, you can make a kind of generalized statements about the society. And as a social historian, of course I do. Uh, but everyone within that is, you know, is an individual and they are, you know, living complex, human lives and that does come across on screen even if it's extremely silly at times well a knight's tale actually brings us right into um hannah and i were looking earlier and found a list on screen rant of the best 15 (laughs) medieval movies of all time on the imdb and actually number 15 is a knight's tale i love um, a knight's tale which is excellent me i think i would have put that a bit higher myself Uh, yeah i'm I'm really surprised to hear that actually if it's the top 15 and that's 15 well you don't know what the rest are yet (laughs) top 10 for Heath Ledger come on (laughs) I mean I think so too and I mean A Night's Tale obviously is one that I think most historians I know actually really enjoy that movie you know even though Mm -hmm. people kind of might think historians would react against it because it's got you know David Bowie on the soundtrack and some pretty far out costumes and language and all of that it does get something doesn't it Yeah, what I love about it is just sort of what I was just saying, is that actually the anachronisms in it, so the modernness of it, does a better job, I think, of kind of describing how people felt in the medieval period than attempting to be really slavishly kind of by the book um, and very ye olde 
kind of uh, deal. What the Knight's Tale does really, really well is it shows you, yeah, like there, there are kind of like um, ordinary ways of people talking to each other. Now, are they going to use those same words? No. But, you know, medieval people have their own slang. They have their own kind of a social conventions. And they're not unlike ours. They just are different to ours. And that's what I really like about A Knight's Tale. And actually, most medieval historians absolutely love A Knight's Tale for that. It's really fun. Um, and, well, yeah, and Heath Ledger also. Uh, mm. I think, And I think it is uh, kind of nice to talk about tournaments and that sort of a thing. Um, I'm quite obsessed with tournaments. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, jousting's not something we can, you know, we really get up to much these days. So it's always exciting <laughs> to see it on screen. Like, yeah, I really, um, so fun, my fun medieval fact about jousting, um, which I'm quite obsessed with, is that um, jousting was seen, and tournaments in general, um, were often condemned by the church. Because the reason we don't see a lot of jousting anymore is that um, it's really easy to die, <laughs> actually. <laughs> And so uh, the church was like, well, you're, you're kind of gambling with your life every time you joust. There is, in theory, a chance that you might die. So it was kind of seen as tantamount to suicide if you died in tourney. And so there would be all these prescriptions against it. And they'd be like, look, you're, you're going to go to purgatory if you, if you die in a tournament. Like, it, it's almost the same as being excommunicated because you were told by the Pope that you were supposed to knock that off. Um, but people did it every, anyway because they loved it, right? And so that's what's really fun about A Knight's Tale is that it it actually has this relationship to tournaments and jousting and all of this that, you know, yeah, medieval people are doing this thing that's kind of dodgy because it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? And, you know, yeah, I like that. So. <laughs> also, I think staging jousting, I mean, I think that film probably covers jousting better than I've almost seen anywhere else. And I remember seeing a making of where, you know, they went through huge experiments with like how you're going to do the lances. And of course, in real life, they would have been like oak or something, right? And mm -hmm. they, they were trying to use things like balsa wood because A, that the oak was so absurdly heavy. And yeah. B, you know, you wanted it to splinter dramatically on impact with the shields and really look, you know, give it, yeah, give it some exactly, drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's incredibly dangerous. And I mean, yeah. also incredibly dangerous to film now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, this is the thing is that we haven't really found a way of making this safer, which is uh, which is why, you know, we don't do it so much anymore. There are, of course, some really uh, dedicated reenactors. Um, and that's always fun every time I see it. Uh, and I, I've definitely seen some some jousters in particular times. Like occasionally at medieval history conferences, they'll get jousters in. And then that's very funny because the jousters will be like, oh, but you all know about this. And we're all like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know a lot about jousting. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, I don't. I really don't. I need you to show me, you know. And so that's quite fun. Um, but yeah, we, we don't have a way of, you know, what are you going to do? Like joust with pool noodles or something in order to make it safe? <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. there isn't a way that it can't, it, it stops being dangerous, you know. <laughs> might have done that one summer <laughs> jousted with pool noodles yeah. yeah not terribly cinematic is it so oh we I could guess. have a history film club you know sort of jousting competition with pool noodles couldn't we yeah that I'm sounds like a this, yes. <laughs> great and you're captain sure. of the team that's <laughs> brilliant you know everything about jousting and <laughs> obviously yes so well a night's tale is 15 on our lovely screen rant list what do you want to try and guess what number one is maybe that's an easy way to start what Okay, so this is just one. This is just movies people like about the medieval period. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's on um yes, because it's according to IMDb, the Internet Movie Database. So uh, you know the criteria could be slightly. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm going to guess then. Number one, I'm going to guess is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 
That's that number two. That's oh, number two. Hey, you were so close. Oh, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. This could get controversial. All right, mm. Um. then is it my only other guess, and then I'll just have to give up. Is it Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? No, but it maybe no. should be. It may, mm. Is Robin Hood, okay. Prince of Thieves? I don't think that's even in the top 15. Wow, okay, Which that is justice is... for, oh, wow. Alan oh. Rickman, come on. Come I mean, on. that does seem quite extraordinary, much as I'm always very critical of this movie and have a long-running disagreement with our producer, Nat, who will probably now edit this to uh, dismiss anything <laughs> I say. <laughs> um. Hello there, it's Nat Tapley, the producer here. Now, the eagle-eared among you may have noticed that Alex just made a very common error where she confused Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with a terrible film. But of course, it is, in real life, a wonderful film. If you would like to express those and other views to her and all other members of the History Film Club, why not join us on our exclusive Discord channel, to which you can get access as a member of our Patreon. Patreon patrons? I don't know. I don't know what the noun is. I'm lost. I'm flailing. Anyway, do join us. You get a membership badge, you get a membership number, and you get watch-alongs, shout-alongs, and to personally live on the internet to berate the the hosts of History History Film Club with your oh-so-very-correct opinions. Uh, Do join us at www.patreon.com forward slash History Film Club. See you there. Who absolutely loves it, but no, it isn't. What's number one? And this is, of course, according to IMDb users. So mm-hmm. you know, this is their feeling is Braveheart. Oh, for God's sake! Uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> fine, fine. Actually, I was, I was literally talking to a, a friend about this on Saturday, and we were talking about the fact that Braveheart is a good movie. Um, and you know, for a blockbuster, it does exactly what you want a blockbuster to do. But it falls into the kind of like uncanny vanny, unca- uncanny vanny, uncanny valley. There you go. We'll try that again. Um, of historiosity, right? Because it gets some things right, but a lot of things are not right. And so, by virtue of kind of being like a big budget, here's some really nice costumes. People tend to think, oh, that's accurate, and you have more trouble with films like that and then kind of teaching people out of it that that's incorrect than you do with, you know, a nice little romp like, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. What can I say? You know, it gives me, it keeps, it makes me lose more sleep. That's the thing about Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a certain truth in that, isn't it? And it's kind of because it's quite convinced. People are convinced, mm. whereas you know that Monty Python is having a laugh and, you know, so you're laughing, you're not kind of necessarily thinking, Oh my God! You know mm. there really was um, somebody launching a cow off the battlements. You know this is, this is yeah, yeah, of, exactly. You're probably prepared to take that with a pinch of salt, <laughs> but I mean, really, the stuff in Braveheart is much more absurd than than a cow catapult. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. It's funny because I mean, it was so so acclaimed at the time. You know, mm-hmm. best picture, best director, all of this. You know, and I I think it's kind of, and then obviously everyone thought it was really influencing Scottish nationalism and all of this. And they built a very amusing statue um, of William Of Mel Willis. Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> which you can still see in Scotland. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it was a real thing. But I think it's kind of, it does now seem to have, I think just its inaccuracies are so huge that it does now have quite a bad rep. 
certainly mm. among historians. I mean, yeah, it, it's fun. And, and you know, I don't, I, I don't want to discourage people from watching it. I do think that, you know, um, it's very fun to see so many attractive men in kilts, for example, like let's, <laughs> Let's Historically not... inaccurate kilts. Yeah, yeah, very. Because, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I have some terrible news for you about kilts. Um, but, you know, it's it's it, it's that kind of a thing where, you know, it, it because it presents this as historically accurate. And, you know, there are all kinds of things we don't know even about William Wallace. So um, one of my fun facts, despite um, where we have a memorial to him, is we don't actually even know where William Wallace was killed in London. Um, it could be. Um, on Smithfield, where the big memorial is, or it could be over at Marble Arch, because <laughs> all we know is that he was killed at the Tyburn Tree, but the Tyburn Tree can refer either to Marble Arch or Smithfield, and we're just making an assumption that it's Smithfield, which is really interesting. But the whole thing about hanging, drawing, and quartering, um, like the drawing is they draw people the entire way through London, kind of like, you know, drag them behind a cart so that everyone could boo and throw things. Um, so there is some argument that maybe it was over at Marble Arch because it's longer, so it would prolong mm. the spectacle. Yeah. So, you know, this is the point. As historians, we don't even know a simple fact like that. And Braveheart's out here like, oh, yeah, yeah, shagged the queen. <laughs> like, okay, I'm fine, I guess. You know, it's, it's quite funny. This is what fuels its uh, popularity, is it sort of, you know complete unreal madnesses as well and the more we talk about it as historians the more people are going to go and keep watching it on these yeah and i don't mind i don't mind if people watch it and have a really nice time with a good historical blockbuster just please please don't think you, you, that, this is the difference right so a knight's tale no one thinks a knight's tale is accurate right <laughs> like, no, no one's coming to me being like, like trying to tell me stories about that as accurate no but people really will take braveheart on board and that's the issue yeah. yeah. Well, fortunately, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is on the list as well at number two, which has to mm. be one of the best films mm. of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I lo- oh, love it. Love it. Uh, so- and then there's a couple of quite high quality things. There's like The Seventh Seal and Ran and, um, mm. you know, things that are quite acclaimed. Then we come lower down the list to two of my faves. There's The Lion in Winter, which I just oh, yes. love. Mm-hmm. Love. Mm-hmm. And uh, the name of the rose still. Oh, I love the name of the rose. Right. All, all medieval historians love the, ma- the name of the rose. Also, <laughs> that's 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 a fact. You can quote me on that. We all like Umberto Eco because he knows what he's doing. That's the thing. Yeah. So yeah, um, and that's it, isn't it? So if you're going to make a serious film. If you want to mm-hmm. impress historians, you've got to do your real research. And Umberto Eco really did, didn't he, with him with the rest? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and this is one, you know, so if people take this seriously, this is actually a kind of useful film. Because there are sort of things in the medieval period, like debates about the nature of divinity and how one should live one's lives. And... You know, there are things like murders and there is intrigue. And so what In the Name of the Rose does really well is it's got a really good background setting to a mystery. So it doesn't necessarily like hinge on medievalisms, right? It's not like Braveheart. It's not like, oh, well, here's a historical, here's a historical thing that happened with historical people. And we're just going to play with what the facts are. What Umberto Eco does is he gets all his facts absolutely nailed in place and then makes a story using them. And that's what's really useful and great about about In the Name of the Rose. Also a great book. 
Fantastic. Nothing but good things to say about In the Name of the Rose. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Everyone go off and read that and watch that. It's brilliant. Really fun. Yeah. And Christian says it's a good... very young role. Mm-hmm. It's always a good way, though, for historical fiction to kind of move history forwards is when the history is the... It's just there, embedded in the narrative, but then the story is driving for some other reason. And obviously in this one, it's about a suspicious death, a kind of, mm. you know, a sleuthing, a solving, isn't it? And um, that sort of I makes love you... It. Sean Connery you just doing a really great job. Um, yeah, wonderful film. Yep. Probably yep. his best yep. role. And a film also responsible for the fact that I still cannot cope with people licking their fingers to turn pages of books I'm afraid <laughs> anyone who's seen it will know what this means and uh yeah I, I just can't I can't deal with that at all <laughs> but Eleanor one thing that does strike me about this list is that there's a couple of things on it such as Kenneth Branagh's version of Henry V and um Laurence Olivier's version of Richard III like seems like we do still mediate the Middle Ages quite a lot through Shakespeare's eyes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and that's quite interesting because there's a good historiographical point that we can make with Shakespeare, right? It was like, well, here's what an early modern person thinks about the medieval <laughs> period, right? And, um, and, you know, as someone who works on propaganda, Shakespeare is really useful. Uh, to me, right? Because that's essentially what it is. It's like, well, what would um, a Tudor monarch want you to understand about the medieval period or medieval monarchs? Uh, and if you are remaking, you know, if, if you're making a new dynasty, you're in kind of like this brave new world that is broken away from the church and what have you, how would someone want their playwright to describe that? And that's what Shakespeare is extremely good at. Um, it's not the best place to go to for facts. <laughs> <laughs> but it is actually a really good place to go to to understand how early modern people think about the centuries previous to them. So, you know, it would be like, I'm trying to think of a, of a good Victorian movie here, but it would be like seeing us make a Victorian film, you know, and what mm -hmm. we tend to think about that. Or, you know, it's like watching... Um, you know, Hamilton or something, right? <laughs> so it's like, here's what people a couple hundred years later after the fact thought and what they want you to take away from the history. Yeah, Hamilton. We'll go with Hamilton. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm glad you said that because then we can at least say Shakespeare is the Lin-Manuel Miranda of his day. And I was going to say, was Shakespeare the Mel Gibson of his day? So <laughs> 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 maybe you'd rather <laughs> be Lin-Manuel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> So I'm just casting my eye over the list and I'm just looking at that to see how many are actually just historical fictions rather than mm. uh, kind of written from scratch in order to, to, to you know, tell us something new about the period. But, um, but yeah, there's a high percentage of Shakespeare in our list. So. Yeah. Well, and, and that's an interesting one as well, too, because, you know, for me, the minute I see something as Shakespeare, I go, oh, that's not medieval. Obviously, the general public isn't going to think that. So, for example, one that comes up a lot um, that I think is a very good movie overall um, is The Mission. Have you ever seen The yeah, Mission? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. And so for me, you know, like that's that's not medieval. It's, you know, it's about Jesuits, right? So it therefore cannot be anything that happens in Paraguay cannot be medieval uh, <laughs> if it's got Europeans there. Um, but it's something that I will have non-historians bring up to me a lot as medieval. And I'm like, oh, it's modern, but you know, uh, and, it, and it's a really good movie, right? I think that it's a quite interesting. Again, it does that thing of having a kind of driving plot point other than uh, history. 
Um, but so I would class that alongside Shakespeare, right? It's it's sort of like the same time. Um, but people tend to think, ah, is there are pantaloons, and therefore this is <laughs> this is the medieval period, and you have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, but if you, if there is a possible, if, if Protestants are telling you about this, then you know. <laughs> you're you're immediately out of your comfort zone for something being medieval you know there's one film on the list which i wanted to know if either of you had seen because i'm now very keen to see it and it's number five and it's the mm-hmm. passion of joan of arc 1928 a oh my film. god so good okay S- I, okay i was gonna bring this up um usually people don't mention this so that's um i'm really excited to hear that it's um it's yeah a nice old french one all black and white um, and what I love about it is it uses actual excerpts from the trial of Joan of Arc for dialogue, hmm. for wow. example. And okay. so it's like, this is a commitment to, yeah. you know, accuracy. And even if, you know, every single costume is not right or the sets aren't. And, you know, one of my personal bugbears that I'm always bringing up about the medieval period is everyone gets interiors wrong. Um, everyone thinks that uh, it, it's kind of like a rock wall that's dripping water. cave (laughs) yeah exactly it's always like oh here's a here's this gloomy old castle and it's like actually medieval people were the gaudiest bunch of individuals ever and you know you're much more likely to walk into a room and it's covered with you know murals on every single inch of it right but the way that the past is often portrayed is like oh here's a stone wall and that's and that's it um but what the what the Passion of Joan of Arc does is really nails the actual source material. So I always really recommend it. Um, and it was considered so incredibly like powerful and outrageous at the time that you couldn't show it in England. <laughs> the English were like, <laughs> "Please don't tell everyone about what we did." You know? so it's, it's quite funny, you know. Another controversial historical film. Mm. <laughs> it's still upset people today. Imagine that, fourteen thirty one to. 1928, they're still obsessed about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so everybody likes Joan of Arc now, don't they? You know, she does this thing of being the kind of like plucky modern woman mm-hmm. almost, right? Like this is the thing we always celebrate about women is when they start behaving like men. So everyone likes a Joan of Arc. <laughs> I like Joan of Arc, okay? To, to be clear, big fan. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, now it, you couldn't say that, you know, no one likes the fact that she was tried for heresy now, and nobody likes that she was tried for heresy in a very political way. Thank you, the English, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a difficult one for people to kind of deal with. They don't want to kind of grapple with it because everybody wants to like Joan of Arc and feel like they would have been on her team. And that's that's where the issue lies. Yeah, absolutely. So Joan of Arc is number five, but it sounds like she might be your top film. Yeah, she's um, my top. Eleanor. Yeah. Okay, so, mm-hmm. but then we would normally ask our guests as well to nominate a film um, that we should put in the club library. So something that they, they really love. Would it be that one or would you pick something else as well? Oh, well, see, I was going to pick that one and now I've completely been scooped. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um I, you know, I almost want to cheat because I haven't seen this movie yet, but uh, I really think I'm going to love it. And um, I am pre-fangirling The Green Knight, I guess oh. is what I'm going to put Oh, in. okay. Um, I think this is one that I'm going to pre-fangirl because in the first place, all medievalists, again, are obsessed with Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, um, which is a very important film to ask the question, what if a weird dude comes to the party? Um, <laughs> and and it's always, always a key historical question yeah yeah and um obviously dev patel thank you that so you know i've made my point clear i think uh, at this point but i think it's really nice to 
actually have a bit of Arthuriana that is Arthuriana. You know, when you tend to see King Arthur stuff brought to the stage, it's just, you know, again, the, the grail again. Here's some more of the grail. Would you like some more of the grail? Or, um, controversially, I do quite like the Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie, which is, <laughs> okay. uh, it's, uh, it, because, you know, it asks the very important question, what if King Arthur was a geezer? <laughs> you know, what if? And so Many like, have wondered. And, uh, so, but, you know, what, what? The, the thing that's that looks nice about the Green Knight is it is actual kind of medieval source material. So it's going into this really interesting bit of Arthuriana, you know, classic Christmas story, obviously, about chopping heads off, a normal thing to do at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's really <laughs> cool to bring something that people don't actually normally think of when they think of the medieval period to the screen. So here is an actual piece of fiction that actual medieval people would have thought about. And I think it's neat to tell people, you know, that the Middle Ages is spooky too. Like they're really obsessed with ghosts. They're really obsessed with kind of um, the idea of a magical world that might be um, damaging or harmful. And the Green Knight's really playing with that. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty hyped for it. I might go back into cinema to see it. I'm still kind of scared of cinemas, but um, Dev might get me there, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> if anything, cats. It, it looks great. And there's a whole kind of, you know, run of fantasy historical movies kind of at the mm-hmm. moment and TV dramas. It's, it feels like we're on a kind of phase of um, the supernatural and history mashed yes. up together. So this seems to be fitting into that category. And, you know, I think that probably yeah, that definitely. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's actually not a bad thing either. You know, people go back and forth about um, you know what we call medievalisms, right? So you know, your Lord of the Rings, your Game of Thrones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't necessarily think that fantasy having medievalisms is a problem because I mean, to a certain extent, anytime you film a quote-unquote medieval movie no matter what it is a fantasy right it's our fantasy of what the medieval era was so yeah throw a dragon in why not you know like it's, <laughs> it's not not necessarily a problem you know again the problem lies in when people start thinking that this is accurate which you know again i, I think people are less likely to do that if we're talking about a fantasy than they are ironically about something like braveheart which is just as much a piece of fantasy as anything else you know this might lead us then into our second question that we ask of applicants which is you know we ask everyone to nominate a pet hate so something that they won't have to encounter at the history film club and it can be a production or it can just be something that often happens in history films have you got something that really annoys you <sighs> Okay, I guess I've got a mashup of two for medieval things. Um, one is I hate um, the idea that the church is a policeman that's hiding under your bed <laughs> that's going to come like ruin your life, right? Uh, so, so th- that's probably my major one. And you see it in you know silly things. So, for example, like uh, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, like the whole witch burning scene, right? This is something that bothers me because every even though it's played for laughs, people think that's real. That this is, like, something that the church is doing. And I'm like, in the first place, there is no... In the first place, witches aren't burnt. They're hung. There's number one for you. In the second place, the witch craze is a modern phenomenon. Not a medieval one. Like, (laughs) thanks. Like, thanks for playing. Nope, that's that's modern. Um, And it, it contributes to this idea that the church is this really kind of... It's almost like a police force that is 
constantly oppressing everyone's lives. And that's just not the way that medieval people experience it. You know, for the most part, the great majority of medieval people experience it as like largely ineffectual and they go to church uh, on a Sunday and get on with their lives. You know, it, it's only really in the modern period when the church is kind of like tooled up more. And even then, you know, you see things like, um, for example, the Spanish Inquisition in the early modern period. And that has to do with the government itself, you know, for lack of a better word, but certainly, you know, the, the royalty inviting the church in to come mess with people's lives. That isn't something that the church did off its own bat. So that bothers me. And then the other one is not bathing. There you go. <laughs> Everybody bathed. Oh my God, calm down. It's just, I but you know just that's really go good crazy. to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's everyone, everyone like, they loved bathing. It was like their hobby. You can't swing it like, a, uh, you know, every single city has a whole bathing quarter. There's like, here's where all the bathhouses are because everybody likes it. And then every single medieval movie is like someone in sackcloth with a bunch of dirt smeared across their face. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Dude. <laughs> like, By a stone wall dripping. By a stone wall <laughs> dripping with water. water. Every time. Every and then time. the church comes and burns them or cuts off their heads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, and, and if you bathe, the church would think you were a witch. Like, come on, people. unless you're jousting when you're really clean and shiny yeah exactly (laughs) well I was going to say maybe this takes us back to those Errol Flynn type movies where everybody was very clean and sparkly with nice teeth maybe that's actually more accurate than this kind of you know smearing everyone in mud and and yeah and you know the thing of it is uh, with the the very nice teeth the other thing I always like to bring up when people talk about this is well you know they didn't have sugar yet so their teeth are actually kind of better than ours in a lot of ways you know, they're they're just like trying to track down honeybees in order to like get any kind of sugar at all. It's it's not like now when we're just constantly pumping it into our mouths and ruining our teeth. So, I mean, I won't say much for dentistry. Yeah, and like definitely braces were not a thing, but no one had. <laughs> it wasn't like a problem with lots of cavities. You know. Mm, mm. Okay, so what we've learned about the Middle Ages: um, not scared of God, and <laughs> beautiful, fresh, fragranced, and quite nice teeth. I mean, yeah, I think these go. are very important for filmmakers to take on board. I think this mm-hmm. is this is good recommendations. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, I think I think you're right. I think we should uh, ban the not bathing cliche definitely from the historical film club. And I also think we should probably, yeah, like realistic depictions of the church. That sounds that sounds pretty fair too. So mm-hmm. I think I think we can let you in on those. Well. With all of that, actually, I mean, I would say, Eleanor, with no further ado, welcome to the History Film Club. You are Yay! not <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And um, we do like to ask our new members if they would like to have something from the club bar, which, of course, can make any drink, modern or historical. So uh, so what would you like? Oh, I can have any drink, modern or historical. I'm going to, like, absolutely cheap out and be kind of modern, though. And uh, my drink's a sidecar. I love a sidecar. I love I to love pretend you. to be a flapper. What can That's I say? That's great. Super not medieval, but super nice. Yeah, Yeah, you know, this is the thing. Look, a a girl likes to study the medieval period. I'm not trying to live there. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, thank you ever so much for joining us, Eleanor Yarniger. Thank you so much for having me. I've been Alex von Tunzelman. I've been Hannah Gregg. And this has been the History Film Club. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the History Film Club, hosted by Alex von Tunzelman and Hannah Gregg. Today's guest was Eleanor Yarniger, and the producer was me, Natalie, for Gloaming Productions. See you next time. <laughs>